In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Some of you surely know G.K. Chesterton's Father Brown character, either from literature or from the BBC series. Father Brown is, of course, a fictional parish priest who's especially good at solving murders. Sometimes he seems to see into people's souls. They wonder about this ability of his. He can see so deeply and so sharply, a little bit like people wondered about Jesus. How can he see this? How can he know this? How can Father Brown, a priest, know such dark and deadly thoughts? In one very revealing situation, the priest sort of reads the soul of a man. And he reads it so clearly that the man looks at him and blurts out, How do you know all this? Are you a devil? Father Brown responds, I am a man, and therefore have all devils in my heart. Whenever there's... A horrible event like the killings in the Orlando nightclub last Sunday morning. There's a temptation to explain it away too quickly by suggesting that it's the work of evil. It's the work of the devil. It's a demon. Especially a week later, it seems, the news cycle focuses on the individual. Clearly, he was disturbed at such a deep level that something like this might happen. Surely a person who flips like that must be possessed or must have been taken over by a demon. We say such things or think such things, obviously, because we don't know what else to think. It makes as much sense by way of explanation as anything else. But when we attribute people and events too quickly to evil or the demonic, I fear we ignore aspects of our own community and culture that are complicit in that evil. We also completely misunderstand the work of demons. If you've read my newsletter article this week, you know that I can't help but feel like these latest killings in Orlando are at some level simply an extension of the words and the feelings and the sentiments already flying around in our culture, already being talked about in state legislatures. Note that the killer did not go to a military institution or a post office. He did not go to a retirement home or a school No, he went to a gay nightclub, and he went on Latino night. Even though the laws of our land have gradually moved to protect LGBT people more and more, the violence and the backlash and the culturally encouraged self-hatred continue, if not having been ramped up. As we know, if we are awake at any level, Latinos, whether refugees, new immigrants, lifelong residents in this country, or judges, have been attacked by politicians and media and in the streets. 
And of course, while easy access to high-powered firearms makes all these killings more possible than not, I think it's crucial for us to notice how violent acts react within larger cultural themes. Sticks and stones break bones, but words hurt too. If there was a demon that led that killer into the nightclub, then let's at least be honest and say that that demon was very well fed and nurtured and strengthened, not so much by forces far away in another country, but by cultural forces right here. Jesus teaches us about facing down demons. We hear the story every year, the first Sunday of Lent. Jesus is baptized. He he gets a flash of insight from God the Father that he is indeed God's son, God's chosen with a mission and a ministry ahead. And Jesus goes into the wilderness, wilderness, and no sooner is he there than he meets the devil, full of temptations. And Jesus shows us and teaches us how demons work. Uh, They tempt us to gluttony, they tempt us to self-sufficiency, they tempt us to power. You know the story, you remember it. The devil suggests that Jesus turn stones into bread, which symbolizing that at some level the getting and gathering of all that might be in our reach can bring temporary fulfillment. Jesus doesn't fall for it. Next, the devil suggests that Jesus jump off the pinnacle of a temple and trust God to pick him up. But Jesus, again, already trusts God and doesn't need to put God to that test or any other. And finally, the devil offers Jesus the kingdoms of the world as though they were his to offer. But again, Jesus is committed to God's kingdom, which looks very differently. God's kingdom includes everyone, not just a chosen few. In today's gospel, we meet up with demons in what is a sad story, if we look at it closely. Here is this man who's not in his right mind. He can't keep clothes on. He can't keep up a household. He's homeless. He's living in the tombs, possibly the caves of his day. People clearly passed him by because they knew of him, but they didn't dare go close. He was possessed, possessed by demons after all. The scriptures don't tell us his name. We don't know his name, but we do sort of know him, don't we? That man must have seemed to the Gerasenes like so many people seem to us today. Uh, They may not live in natural caves, but they live in the caves made close at home by overpasses and abandoned buildings and hallways and stoops. Their problems seem overwhelming. Often we do what we can. We say a prayer. We reach for a dollar or two. We might buy a sandwich. We might engage the person. We wonder what's to be done, who's responsible, where to begin. A demon would have us assume that it's the work of the demons. And so there's nothing we can do. And so we either blame the person or blame the demon and we go on our way. The reality we all know is much larger and much more complex. 
Walter Wink is a theologian who thinks and writes a lot about the way demons work in our world, not only in individuals, but also in institutions and structures. Wink points out that one way the demonic works is by rigidly classifying those who are in against those who are out. The dean of St. Albans Cathedral in England, Geoffrey John, writes about Wink's observation as he points out the profundity of this story from the gospel, the story of the man healed of his demons, is shown in the fact that Jesus goes out to heal the very one who is the symbol of all alien oppression. Jesus steps outside the territory of Israel into unclean territory. He heals the most untouchable of the untouchables and makes him, in effect, his first apostle to the other Gentiles. In other words, a part of the healing is Jesus' daring to go where others don't go, where others say it's useless, it's pointless, there's no use even trying. Jesus is unwilling to be captive to the demons of prejudice, of rumor, of gossip, of assumptions, or of conventions. Throughout Scripture, Jesus heals people the same way again and again as Jesus transgresses societal and cultural and gender norms and able to bring a human touch, which is also the touch of God. Demons are not always what they seem. Reading the Scriptures closely, In some places, for a modern health professional, that person can see in the Bible that what was once thought to be a demon-possessed person is a person who was suffering from epilepsy. Leprosy was thought to be caused by demons, but now we know it's called Hansen's disease. It's an infection caused by bacteria, and it's curable through medication. Melancholia and depression were thought to be forms of demon possession, Now, with patience and proper medication, it can be helped. Homosexuality was and still is. James Dobson was on the news this morning, probably thundering forth about this very thing. Homosexuality thought to be caused by demons. We have moved on. The real demonic is and always has been in the way that people can be separated can be kept in ignorance and never allowed to grow through information and wisdom and knowledge. Often the demons are buried deep in the details in history or even in the history of faith as we know it through scripture. Notice today's first reading, that wonderful story of Elijah from the first book of the Kings. It would be easy and a whole lot of fun to focus on that storyline of Elijah who has sort of lost his nerve, lost his faith, and he wonders, is God still on his side? And so Elijah runs away and then God meets him, not in the earthquake, not in the fire, but in the still small voice. Countless sermons have been preached on that. But notice the beginning of the passage King Ahab told his wife Jezebel all that Elijah had done, how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, saying, So may the gods do to me, and more also, if I don't make your life like one of those by this time tomorrow. No wonder Elijah's afraid. He's just slaughtered a bunch of prophets. 
If we read chapter 18, it's the story that people like me grew up illustrating in Sunday school. We, we illustrated with crayons the wonderful story of Elijah calling down God's presence. And so the, the moat of water around the altar was filled with flames. We drew that as little children. How wonderful that God is with Elijah and God will be with us too, right? We completely missed the second part. After winning his magic trick against the prophets of Baal, Elijah says, round up all the prophets and kill them, every single one. And we wonder why there might be resentment against organized religions. It's in our history. It's a part of our history. The demons would have us forget it. The demons would have us only notice the good parts. The light of Christ shows all in Christ's light and helps us to learn and grow and increase in knowledge, faith, wisdom, and love. And so we confess the ills of the past and we move into the future. A friend of mine likes to say that the trouble with fundamentalists is not that they read scripture, it's that they don't read enough scripture. If we read enough scripture... We come up upon these really difficult places and we're forced to use our mind and our spirit in order to understand. This week we had a visitor to morning prayer and he was telling me about his church in Texas and how one thing he really loves about his church is their deep, deep love of scripture. And he said, yes, we believe in the inherent word of God. He meant inerrant, but I didn't correct him. And I said, well, you know, we believe in Scripture as well. We love Scripture. That's one of the gifts of morning prayer. And I couldn't resist. And I said, by the way, were you in church last Sunday? Did you read the story about King David? And he said, well, no, we didn't read that reading. Ah. I said, we read about King David. King David, who had six wives, we know by name from the Scriptures. But then he took more wives once he got to Jerusalem. And the Scripture that we read in church was about how David saw yet another woman and wanted her, so had her husband killed so he could get her. Now, what part of that is instructive for traditional family values? He changed the subject. Trouble isn't with reading scripture, it's with not reading enough scripture. Because we're bound to get to those places in scripture where we don't know the answer, we don't understand the meaning. We confess the sins of the past and we fall on our knees in the grace of God so that God, through God's spirit, can show us the way forward, can teach us what it means in our day to be faithful followers of Christ. Whenever we elevate scripture above Christ, we make scripture into an idol. Whenever we make tradition or reason or law or custom above the ongoing revelation of Christ, we worship idols. And when we worship idols, we are dealing with demons. Demons make us overlook the details and only see in broad strokes. Demons thrive on prejudice and ignorance and scapegoating. Demons love a fictional view of the past and refuse to take into consideration the realities of the present. Demons follow a dead God, while the way of Christ leads us to a living God who continues to reveal. Like Chesterton's Father Brown, if we're honest with ourselves, with God's grace we can begin to see the demons that are living within each one of us, and we can ask God to set us free 
We can ask God to exercise the demons that are still living in our churches and our institutions. Together we can expose the demons that want us to live in fear and helplessness. We can face down any demons that blame particular ethnicities or groups of people. And we can call out all the demons that get lodged in laws and lawmakers. In the letter of Paul to the Galatians, Paul reminds us that faith frees us to be children in Christ. As many of us as have been baptized into Christ have clothed ourselves with Christ. There is no longer Jew or Greek. There is no longer slave or free. There is no longer male or female. For all of us are one in Christ Jesus. And if we belong to Christ, then we are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Notice that last phrase, Abraham's offspring, not just Jesus's. So that means we are sisters and brothers with Muslims and with Jews, as well as Christians. Whether we are of one mind or have a lot of issues to hammer out, we are one family of faith and God has chosen us all. On this day, we offer the Holy Eucharist for the repose of the souls of the victims of the Orlando shootings. Que las almas de las difuntos por la misericordia de Dios descansen en paz. But also, let us offer ourselves as followers of Christ who defeats all demons and empowers us to live in love. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.